Hey, welcome to Coffee with Coasties. I'm your host, Joe Nemeth. I've got my co-host, Kelsey Sider. Hey, hey. What's going on, Kelsey? Not much. All right, we're glad to be in studio today. Got a great episode for you. We've got Kim Curry, our resident meteorologist, hurricane expert from Flotilla 10-5 down in Southport, here to talk about hurricane preparedness. Woo-woo. Kim, how you doing? I'm doing fine. First things first, Kim. How do you take your coffee? Black. Black. All right. You should have remembered this. Kim is our first returning guest on this podcast. Kim is the first returning guest. We all put our heads together after the last episode when we touched on Hurricane, and we were like, we need to have a Hurricane Preparedness episode only where we talk about all the good things. And so we're glad to have him in here today. And let's just go ahead and jump right in with, why are we talking about Hurricanes now, Kim? Well, I guess that's a pretty good question. Uh, today's the 15th of May. Uh, this is the, about the last day of something called National Hurricane Preparedness Week. So nationally, they recognize this as it's time for people to get their mindset around the upcoming hurricane season. Officially, hurricane season doesn't start until June 1st, and it runs through the end of November. But that doesn't... Um, the fact is, storms can form earlier than May. They can storm earlier than later than November. They can stor- uh, form almost at any time. But the official season is June 1st through November 30th. In our region, uh, the most favored period is about mid-August through about mid-October. And uh, so right now is the time frame that it might seem a little bit early, but it's probably the best time to get your mind set and start getting prepared for what you might expect from this hurricane season. Good point, good point. And for those of you that live in southeastern United States, like North Carolina to Florida, uh, the other parts of the country, they have four seasons. We only have two seasons down here, hurricane season and getting ready for hurricane season. I think North Carolina has had like some astronomical number of direct hits in the last three decades. I don't even know the number. You probably know it. It's a lot. I know I've been through like 10 so I just quit counting anymore. So. Uh, one interesting note uh, before we really get started in this, this was supposed to be <clears throat> an extremely active hurricane season like last year. Last year was about the most active hurricane season we've had on record. Uh, this year was expected to be of the same genre as last year with a, a great deal of hurricanes, perhaps some of them affecting our area. Uh, and that was based on the fact that there was what they call the La Nina effect in the Pacific which with a La Nina, uh, it basically fosters development of hurricanes in the Caribbean, uh, which would then either impinge the Gulf Coast or our area. Well, they've since uh, reconsidered that, and they're not looking for a La Nina right now. So the storm season, you'll probably see within the next few weeks a different assessment of the upcoming season, and it's probably going to be more towards just a normal year. Gotcha. And that probably falls in line with the, with the milder, cooler temperatures we've had in the last few weeks, right? Um, perhaps. 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 I wouldn't go that far, but perhaps. So for those of you that just woke up this morning with your head sewn to the carpet and you don't know what a hurricane is, tell us what a hurricane is. A hurricane basically is just a large rotating mass of clouds and high winds that form over the warm waters in tropical areas. There are... Well, you find them all over the world. It's not just the Atlantic that uh, we see hurricanes. Um, they have different names. I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, 
Uh, hurricanes basically are just a warm heat engine storm, a, a mass of thunderstorms that have got their act together and have uh, basically been consistent and they continue to increase in strength. And as they increase in strength, they become what we call tropical cyclones and they're often off and running. Hurricanes are defined by having sustained winds of at least 74 mile per hour. So that's the bottom level, 74 mile per hour. And they're normally identified by an area of low pressure in the center surrounded by clouds. And that area of low pressure in the center is called the eye of the hurricane. They form basically in Africa as low pressure centers coming off the Sahara Desert. And as they get out over the warm uh, tropical Atlantic water, that warm water gives them the energy to maintain themselves and even increase in strength. And then they'll begin to propagate and they'll start to travel across the Atlantic. And if they stay within warm water, there's nothing there that's going to stop them from basically continuing to strengthen. So that's what the formation and, and what's causing the hurricanes. Storm, the storm forecasters that work at like the National Hurricane Center down in uh, Florida, uh, they watch uh, via the satellites and observational platforms, they watch for clusters of thunderstorms in off of the uh, Sahara Desert and coming into the Atlantic. We get these all the time. 90% of these storm clusters never do anything. They're just a bunch of thunderstorms propagating across the water. But every once in a while, there's a consistency that's noted. And then there's a persistence. So here's a massive thunderstorm that just doesn't go away. And it continues to track. And as it's continuing to track, it continues to organize. And as it continues to organize, they start to see a circulation form within the cloud pattern and this is indicative of the beginning of a tropical cyclone. Uh, they go through several stages. The first one is called just a tropical disturbance. Okay, there's a mass of thunderstorms out there. There's no warnings point out, but this is what will key their interest. Uh, they'll continue to watch it. If there's increased uh, organization and increasing thunderstorm activity, they'll upgrade this now to a tropical dis uh, depression. This is when they first start thinking about putting out uh, warnings and, and, and advisory notices. Tropical depression will continue to build up to about 34, 35 knots or 40 mile per hour of sustained winds, and then it becomes a tropical storm. It's continuing to strengthen. Tropical storms are unique in the fact that that's when they get a name. So you'll, they'll put warnings out on tropical depressions, but it won't be until it becomes a tropical storm with winds greater than 35, 30, 40 mile per hour, uh, that they actually get a name uh, placed on them. That'll continue to develop, if it does, uh, up to about 74 mile per hour, and then it is designated as a hurricane. Now, hurricanes themselves have different stages. And living in the southeast U.S., you're used to hearing category one hurricane, category two. Um, there are five categories, and basically the number one, category one, is a, is a weak hurricane, or a strong, very strong tropical storm right in that area there. Um, about 74 mile per hour of sustained winds. When I say sustained winds, that's a one minute average. Gust factors within that, if there's a gustiness to it, gustiness of if you have 74 mile per hour sustained winds, you could have gust up to 90 mile per hour. So the gust have to be figured into that, although they're not really forecast, they're not put out on the forecast. And then they'll work all the way up, they'll continue to strengthen, and they may get to uh, Category 5. 
and that's with winds in excess of about 157 mile per hour. That's sustained winds. That's smoking right there. That, that is, is, that is. is, it's considered to be catastrophic damage, okay? Yeah. Um, and over the last couple of years, if we remember Hurricane Dorian, we'll talk a little bit about that one, that uh, stayed off the uh, Bahamas there for, mm-hmm. for several days. They're even considering, although nothing's official, but they're considering making a Category 6. Wow. Because they're seeing storms that are, are getting even more intense than what we've seen in the past. So that's pretty much the description of hurricanes in this area. Yeah. I know it's an odd number, but five seems to be such a round number. Why would you break it? It bothers yeah. my OCD, Kim. Can you can you send that feedback into the National Weather Service? Just keep it at five. Just keep, just it, at keep five. it at five. I think yeah. it just adjust you know, the numbers. Right. Maybe keep it. Okay, at five. Maybe we'll go think with. of all the literature you'd have to change if you were to add a six. Right. I well, mean, from a cost perspective, maybe they can go with a five. Just my OCD. Five plus. Maybe and, a five plus. And yeah. Think five about plus, this. Yeah. I mean, you only have five fingers on your hand. So how yeah. are we going to keep up with the categories? True. You're right. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, well, no, I'll notify the hurricane center. About that. We appreciate that. We appreciate that. Sorry, so, we're, we're making fun here. We're, we're having a good time. Yeah, yeah, we are. But uh, so, Kim, you know, you mentioned that, you know, hurricanes happen all over the world, right? Right. But, you know, we only typically hear the term hurricane for the Atlantic and then other places it's called a typhoon, correct? That is correct. So what's the difference between a hurricane and a typhoon? Truthfully, spelling. The spelling. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, it's they're, they're the same animal. Uh, if you're in Australia, I love the name in Australia. They're called Willy Willies. Willy Willies. Willy Willies. Oh, okay. Okay. Now the second piece of feedback is just to let's just call it a Willy Willy now. Willy there you Willies. Go. A Category Six right. Willy Willy coming coming I mean, straight for the port I city. Mike, a Willy Willy's on its way. Exactly. <laughs> um, but hurricanes and they're all this same heat engine cluster of thunderstorms developing i will tell you that in the pacific there is no storm season there is no hurricane or typhoon season it's where it's year long year long and the amount of warm water that's available for energy energizing storms in the pacific is is far vaster than it is in the atlantic um there's a lot more storms there are uh, usually more intense storms in the Pacific. And also, um, I have I used to be a typhoon forecaster uh, back in my early days in the, in the Navy. Um, there was at one time that we were forecasting five active typhoons in the Pacific and South China Sea. So there was three in the Pacific and two in the South China Sea. So it was five active storms going on at wow. one time. Wow. You know, that reminds me of when, and I can't remember what year it was because... I've seen so many weather forecasts related to hurricanes in my time growing up down here in Wilmington. But I remember seeing one particular image of back. It was a chain of from depression all the way to hurricanes just coming from the Africa coast, just beaming, beaming right towards the East Coast. And that's what you said, you know, five active storms of just you see all the rain. Oh, exactly. Down in Africa. Don't yeah. start singing, Joe. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then everything, you know, kind of building up. Um, right. It looked like it was it was showing the progression of one particular storm, but it was actually several storms in a, in a daisy chain coming off, headed right towards it. Right. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, June 1st through November is the actual hurricane season, but we don't normally get our storms up here until about the mid-August to mid-October time frame. That doesn't mean there's not storms out there. 
but in the early portion of the storm season from June through August time frame, the upper level wind flow that's driving, it's basically pushing the storms, directing the storms in their movement, will oftentimes have them down more into the southern Caribbean, and then they'll come across and they'll move their way perhaps over uh, the Yucatan Peninsula into the Gulf of Mexico. See, uh, so you're seeing the storms occurring, but their track is more southerly, and a mm-hmm. lot of those storms then will be going up into the Gulf of Mexico. As the season progresses, that upper-level flow kind of abates, allowing them to recurve up the eastern seaboard, and that's when our, our threat really falls in. So you touched on the cones. We have a lot to say about cones in here. Do you have a lot to say about cones? Cones. You're talking about the, so cone the cones of, of un- the cone of cer- uh, uncertainty. uncertainty. Cone of uncertainty. Right. Hmm. I, I think anyone that's um, anyone that's uh, you know been in a in a hurricane area like down here, um, you know, has seen that cone. So mm-hmm. my question is, is the cone based off of like logic of of wind, uh, like you know, all the effects, all the things that affect the direction? of a hurricane or are they based more on historical data or is it it a bit of both it's a little bit of both history has a lot to do with it um when i was forecasting typhoons back in the 70s uh computers and satellites were not the way they are today Uh, we were getting two pictures of us of a storm a day now with the geostationary satellites we get continuous coverage um at that time we basically graded ourselves. We verified our forecast and graded ourselves on how far, if you put out a storm warning from today for three days, for 72 hours, we would look at the 12-hour mark, the 24-hour mark, the 48-hour, and the 72-hour mark. And we would grade ourselves as how close to our forecasted track was the actual storm at that time. And at that time, we were lucky if we could get a 24-hour forecast in within about 80 to 90 miles of that track. And it went out to 72 hours. We were lucky if we were between 150 to 200 miles either side of that track. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the advent of the geostationary satellites, with the advent of greater technology, uh, better computers, uh, better um, capability of modeling the thing, uh, we're narrowing that cone so that now... Uh, we're looking at 24-hour errors within 30 to 40 miles um, and 72 hours under 100 miles. So we've narrowed the cone, but we still haven't got it down to a precise line. So whenever you see a line coming up the coast, um, that storm could be on either side of that line. Some of it has to do also with where it's heading. If it's heading along the eastern seaboard, there may be a tendency to, it's not not a complete factor in this thing, but they have to concern themselves with the population. And if it's coming up and it looks like um, there's a threatened area, we have to start thinking about giving the warning out a little early so that mm-hmm. people will start preparing for it. So there's a little bit of that goes into it. Interesting. Yeah, and still, key, it's important to realize that the center of circulation crosses in New Hanover County. You're still going to feel the f- effects wide beyond New Hanover County. Oh, absolutely. I and and it's, you know, rainfall is even further. And, you know, we've seen here in the Carolinas, 
the rainfall and flooding after the storm being just as devastating, if not more, than the, the winds and the storm itself. In actuality, um, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, I hope, but uh, in actuality, it's not really the winds. Everybody's concerned about when they talk about category one, two, three, four, five, it's the winds that they're talking about. And everybody's concerned about the winds. And the winds are very destructive. But the majority of destruction and the lives lost comes from something, from two things. One, storm surge, and we'll talk about that hopefully, and then the flooding, the inland flooding. That's when most of the people lose their lives is the flooding and yeah. the storm surge. And so the longer that circulation stays in an area dumping rain, the more that the rivers and bays and right. sounds and lakes and drainage ditches and retention ponds all have to deal with it, and it causes exactly catastrophic now, last year, uh, two years ago, I guess, with Hurricane Dorian back in 2019, it set a record as something we've pretty much never seen before. It was a Category 5, and then it basically lingered. I believe the island was northern Abaco Island, or Abacus Island, mm-hmm. in the, in the uh, Bahamas. It lingered as a Category 5 over one area for about three to four days. That's really not normal. That's not normal at all. But the destruction that was caused of that, I mean, just basically wiped that island out because yeah. there was no relief. Yeah, it was done. And that's the thing. A lot of these structures, even when you build to like Miami-Dade Code and all that, it's not for those extended periods of time. I know in Florence, here, right here in the studio, um, after like the third day of wind and rain and this storm was not moving, everything started to fail. Yep. The roof started to leak. The windows started to fail. Right. Everything. Trees fell over. Mm-hmm. First and 24 hours, it was nothing. Just like any other storm we'd ever had. And then it was just, it just couldn't sustain it. Right. Florence was interesting also. It was rather unique in that Florence came into the eastern coast. And then instead of turning and going northward and then becoming northeastward, it turned westward and went southwestward. So it came in north of Wilmington and then traveled southwestward into uh, yeah. into North Carolina. Very, and, and very, also, very slowly at like one mile an hour. Right. It was yeah. almost stalled. And that's, right. that's why we had almost 40 inches of rain, which exactly. is completely I think we had seven days without power right here. Yeah. Right. So it was just all over the Carolinas. Exactly. And, and it was also interesting fact on Florence was... Wasn't it the furthest out in the ocean that made its way north to then make a turn right. west? So yeah. There was just so many abnormalities in that storm. And, and that's seemed- what we're seeing, climatologically speaking, with hurricanes and stuff. If you look at hurricane history for, for several decades, yeah. we're seeing a lot of unusual activity. Uh, yeah. Partly of this last year, and we're still looking to see what happens this year, was the, the water temperature off the eastern coast. We were seeing water temperatures in the upper 70s all the way up to the coastline through through September and October. And uh, that warm water is the energy that keeps the storm strong. And so we normally would expect weakening as it comes up to the north, but that didn't happen Mm-mm. so much. Yeah. So you touched on storm surge. You know, what, um, what effects are there in wind versus storm surge? Well, wind... What does that mean? Okay. Exactly. Uh to get into that, you noticed that we talked about the track of the storm. Yep. Okay, so looking at a particular storm track and the movement of the storm, a tropical cyclone or a hurricane, the rotation of the clouds within that thing are in a counterclockwise fashion. They, they spin counterclockwise, 
we call it cyclonic curvature, cyclonic flow. As it's coming up that track, it's spinning at the same time. Because of that spin and because of the movement, the most intense winds are found on the right-hand side of the storm on the leading edge. So the leading edge of the right-hand side of any storm, depending on its movement, is where we normally consider the region of the strongest wind flow. Now, the wind flow basically drives the waves and drives the water. So the wind impinging on the surface of the ocean drives the immense amount of water. So as that storm's moving, it's pushing water ahead of it on the right-hand side of that storm in the leading edge. And that's basically what we consider to be storm surge. It's that, that push of an extra element of water ahead of the storm to the right of its track. So for us, the most dangerous storm to be considered would be a storm coming into about, let's say, Myrtle Beach. Should it make landfall in Myrtle Beach? Since we're in the Cape Fear region, that means that the right side, the leading edge of the right side of that storm is right over top of us. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be shoving water up the Cape Fear River all the way into Wilmington or whatever. The problem is it's a large mass of water and it has nowhere to go but up. Yep. And so it's, it's going to spread across the land and stuff like this. And the other thing that people have to uh, be concerned about, and a lot of this, we'll talk about this a little bit later, I hope, but uh, it's depending on do I evacuate or don't I evacuate? Do I really prepare for it? Do I, do I shelter in place, things of this nature? If you're living very close to the coastline and a storm is coming up and you're expecting storm surge, the other thing you have to worry about is at what time of day does this storm come in? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if the storm surge occurs at high tide, you've already got a larger mass of water in your river basins. And then all of that extra water from the ocean is being pushed in. You can get extreme amounts of storm surge. Um, when Katrina hit down in the Louisiana area, it was hitting at a high tide. And there's a place just outside of uh, Louisiana called Waveland, Mississippi. I'm fairly familiar with that because I, I, I used to work down there. But uh, they had a storm surge of nearly 30 feet. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's the highest on record. For it is the highest on like record, 27. right. 27.8 feet yeah. or something like yeah, that. It, and when you think of 27 feet of water coming in, nothing stops it. And, yeah. and the way that, nothing stops for it. anyone that's not really familiar with hurricanes, the storm surge would basically be that height of water. You're looking at like a wall of water, 27 feet high. Right. It's not going to come in like... Not like at once, like, but like that's a wall, like the, but the it, visual. Right. If you've ever seen pictures of a tsunami, now mm -hmm. these are completely different animals. Please don't try no. to cross-connect these right. two. But if you see it, it doesn't come in as a wall. It comes in as a surge of water that just keeps coming and Rising. building and building. And that's what storms. So you're standing does. out there on the beach. You could just say, "Could you imagine what you know?" Right here, where I'm standing on the sand, and then 27 and a half feet above me is where the top of it is. Yeah, like, exactly. Like a pool. That's exactly what that visual would that's be. That's what it is. And you mentioned a minute ago the track of you know North Carolina, South Carolina line, Myrtle Beach right. area. Uh, so Hurricane Hazel, which is like the rule that everybody in southeastern United North Carolina talk about, is oh Hazel did this and Hazel did that. Well, several of the storm surge on the Cape Fear River side, not the ocean side, but the Cape Fear River side, have been higher than Hazel in recent years in these storms. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that Hazel will no longer be called the reference 
No, it will think, no longer be the reference. I think Florence will become our reference yeah. from some time. And Matthew had a really big storm surge the Matthew year before well, Florence. Because I remember I was downtown Cape Fear River on a boat, and the water just kept coming and coming and coming. Next thing you know, it's in Front Street. Yeah, yeah. right. And I'm like, I've never seen this. Right. So it's... So in the recent in recent years, we've had Matthew, Florence, Dorian, and Isaias. And Isaias. Uh, year yes. after year, they're coming right. in. And Florence was probably the worst of all of them. We lost 43 people in North Carolina due to Florence yeah. and billions of dollars of damage. So I, I kind of believe that Florence will now become the standard of reference in the North Carolina For sure. Region. I think it'll be just as Katrina is for the Gulf. I, I live up in Pender County, and when you drive certain parts up in that, you know, some of that rural area, area along the Cape Fear River up there, you still see devastation. <laughs> I think it took probably like between eight and 10 months for all the trash along the highway to be picked up. Right. And, exactly. and it was, it was honestly really depressing driving out there and just seeing all that destruction for so long into this day, still driving by and seeing that house that all you know always had these really pretty azaleas just sitting there completely empty, right. gutted, and everything like that. You know, and we look back in history. Um, I often ask that when I teach my classes in, in uh, hurricane preparedness, you know, what they consider to be the worst natural disaster in U.S. history, and you get a lot of different things about hur- uh, earthquakes or fires or floods, the Jonestown floods, the San Francisco earthquake, the greatest natural disaster to hit the United States was in 1898 in Galveston, Texas. And we had a hurricane come into Galveston, Texas without any warning. Yeah. And everybody was there and they lost 8,000 people in that one storm. So it's going to be tough to ever come close to something of that nature, Uh, especially our warning systems today. You know, you you can't expect that. Well, to we've happen. answered the call of you know meteorology in itself has come a long way since since then. Pretty much answering the call on preparedness, right. and that's great. And so on that note, um, when should the average listener we've got out there right now, when should they consider evacuating? Now, me, it's when the Weather Channel shows up with that one certain guy that's bad luck. Yeah, yeah. Name Jim Cantori. Yeah, that's Jim the guy. Shows up, we <laughs> he <always>. shows up <laughs> like out in front of my house. I'm gone. I'm like going to West Virginia. But in serious note, though, when should we consider evacuation? Is it based upon what type of structure you live in, where you live at, or, or just give it, us your opinion? It's a very personal decision on evacuation. FEMA is going to be starting to think about evacuation 48 to 72 hours out, mm-hmm. only because if you when you call for a mandatory evacuation, the roads have a tendency to clog up. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, there was a hurricane that, that went into times. went into Houston a few years back, and they called for a mandatory evacuation. They lost more people in the evacuation process than they did when the storm came through. So they've started rethinking this evacuation process. Uh, locally, we have three access. We have three exit routes. We have 17, we have 40, and we have the 74. Mm-hmm. Those are the evacuation routes. So you'd have to take a look at okay, where is the expected track? If the expected track is coming up from our southeast, moving northwest, and it looks like it's going to go south of us, you probably don't want to head towards Myrtle Beach. Okay, sure. so that means everybody's going north. Um, but I'm, I'm, my own case, I would start looking at evacuation within about the uh, 48 to 72 hour time in advance. 
that's when I would really consider starting getting my house prepared, uh, my car prepared, the family all set up and everything like that. And we'll, we might be able to talk about that in yeah, a few minutes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's about the 48 to 72. So for people who are like, well, I'll just wait until I'm told to evacuate, I guess one comment, and this is something that we learned with Florence, is that local government orders to evacuate are pretty strategic. And the mayor of Wilmington actually said, you know, we didn't make a mandatory evacuation because we couldn't have 250,000 people trying to leave at once, right? Right. right. So when you say that's a very personal decision, you know, you need to take a lot of things into factor, but don't rely on necessarily that that order to just leave uh, and okay. say, well, if they're not telling me to leave, then it must be okay. Right. Um, because, you know, like I said, we, we saw a lot of destruction here in Wellington, down trees and, you know, not being able to navigate across town um, without power, that type of thing. So, yeah. you know, just that's, that's just one thing uh, I remember from Florence as well. The other factor that we've had in our last two storms, both in Dorian and Isaias, was uh, tornado activity. Yes. Which we haven't really seen, you know, in my, re- my, my knowledge for quite some time. We do get... That, but uh, here's two storms that have come on, you know, and have produced tornadoes and have been rather, rather serious. You know? Yes, for sure. We've had a lot more tornadoes down in this area than I can ever remember. Right. right. Um, another good thing here while we're talking about preparing is, you know, we want to touch on preparing your house and, and all that stuff. But what can we do right now to prepare for hurricane season? Now, my family is third generation down here. You know, we've been through a lot of hurricanes. And so every year right around this time, we stock up the garage with bottled water and food supplies and things that we might need. And then once we make it through hurricane season, we drink some of it between the next hurricane season. So what are some things that are like some basic staple supplies that you would recommend our viewers to go ahead and have on hand now, even without a named storm, even tracking this way is just something that they should already have anywhere they could store it so they'd be ready. Okay. Um, let's take, for example, that we've got a storm coming up uh, that's anywhere between a, a one, two. They're not exactly sure how strong it'll be when it comes in, but you want to get your mindset early on. So what would be a basic package that I would see was that um, I would, you, of course, you're going to want to need water. Surprisingly mm-hmm. enough, you know, the in the middle of a hurricane, when it's raining like crap, you run out of water and uh, potable water. So we, we recommend about one gallon per person per day. Okay. And in most cases, the water will be out. I mean, you can never tell, but you should have at least three to four days. So that's one person, one gallon per person per day for about four, maybe five days. That should be enough to tide you through uh, most occurrences. Uh, food. Non-perishable food. Canned goods. Okay, um, things that just not uh, can last within a in a storage area. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget to have a manual can opener because you may not have electricity to open your cans of your yeah. perishable goods. Uh, a lot of people. The other thing you have to consider is um, if you're going to be putting away storables just in case, store some pet food as well. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Don't don't forget your That's pet food. Too. You know things of this nature. Uh, you'd like you really need to have a battery powered radio. One of the first things in this area of North Carolina to go is power. Yep. Trees come down, whatever happens, junction boxes blow. Uh, power is pretty fragile in this region. So make sure that you have a battery battery powered. 
there is even radios now that um, you can recharge the batteries with a hand crank on the side of the radio. So Or solar. Funny yeah. story. Florence hits, like I said, seven days, no power. We had infrastructure destabilization. We lost cell phone towers. We lost everything. And like third day into the rain and the wind, which was apocalyptic, right? I go and I grab out of my little gear, my little wind-up weather radio, and I can listen to the weather and the local local radio station. So when all else failed, the basic form of communication for several years now in AM, FM radio worked. Right. And I could get news. Right. And so it's very overlooked nowadays because we all have our iPods and our this, that, and the other, but that is something you've got to have. Got to have batteries for it or get a wind-up. Right. Because if the cell tower is going down, you're not having. You're, you're, you're not having, and it will happen. I mean, yeah. it, it it hit. Mm-hmm. It was real. Right. So I recommend because with with the loss of power, uh, you're going to need flashlights and of course batteries, mm-hmm. uh, and and a first aid kit is something first that I always kit. always have it on hand. So those are some of the, but the big thing is the water and the food. Yeah. And um, like you said. Um, so one tip I have for lighting. And I cannot take credit for this, but this is a great idea. Uh, a gentleman taught me this years ago, a retired fire, fire marshal from New York, from Manhattan. He said, keep solar landscape lights in your yard, and when you lose electricity, bring them inside. They'll light up a whole room. And they hmm. cut off when the light comes back on. You take them back out during mm-hmm. the day. So there's been several storms where I've not had power. Mm-hmm. And I go out there and I grab that same little six-pack and I bring them in the house and they light up a room. Right. That's, yeah. And it's something that simple. It is that simple. Now, there, what we have at, at home is if you go to Home Depot or some of these places, um, is that they have these little battery-powered uh, lights that you can stick on your wall. Mm-hmm. And basically, you just touch them and they'll come on. And so there's no electricity required. Yeah. just replacing the batteries. It's on like that. e-lights yeah. on a ship, which right. I so wish they built lights, uh, houses like a ship where you had e-lights and you had everything that you needed. You know, you could say, oh, okay, power's out. E-lights are on. We've got 12 hours. Right. You know. And a lot of people now are getting the generators. Oh, yeah. Standby yeah. generator cells are through the roof. Oh, yeah. That, that definitely happened right after Florence. After yeah. Florence. Everyone we, started getting generators installed. We have about 100 people in our neighborhood and mm-hmm. uh, before Florence, I would say there may have been four or five of these uh, backup generators. I would say there's probably 20 or 30 of them in our neighborhood yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it was real. It hit home for everybody. It did. And it did. It's, Quite literally. That adds the basics for sure. Um, so how do we prepare our boats and things like that for hurricanes? Because if we, if we need to get our house ready and our family ready and potential to evacuate, we can't be down there at the boat ramp the day before the storm hits, right? I think a perfect example of that is um, Southport Marina mm-hmm. last year uh, during Isaias when basically it wasn't that strong of a storm. We did get a fairly significant storm surge up into the Cape Fear, and Southport Marina basically lost the entire operation. They lost their entire enterprise there. Boats yeah. were stacked up on top of each other. Yeah, it was something. Um, it was pretty bad. First indication of storms, if your boat is trailerable recommendation is get it out of the water and take it inland and strap it down cover it and get it prepared for the storm like you would you know anything else if it's not trailerable if it's too big then you might you probably will con- should consider moving it as far inland as you can get okay get it away from that that storm surge um 
problem that we've seen up and down the Cape Fear. If, it, if you're staying in a marina, if your boat's in the marina and you decided to leave it in, the, in a slip in the marina, make sure to double or triple all of your lines so that uh, it's secure. Uh, make sure that your spring lines, fore and after, are all doubled up. So we're basically talking hardened to the pier. Yeah. And basically also uh, attach your lines high. Okay. For the storm surge. For the storm surge. If you're, yeah. you know, as they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, if you're tied tightly to the bottom of the piling alongside your pier mm -hmm. and it's a floating pier and the boat's floating, well, that line is probably going to snug up against that piling and, and it's going to basically cause your boat to swamp, perhaps, right there at the pier. Yeah. So you want to tie your lines high up on the pier. Uh, I would never recommend anybody, no matter what the what their boat is, to stay on board while, while it's um, get a hotel, get off the boat. Um, I'd recommend. Why is everybody looking at me? I've only spent <laughs> eight on hurricanes on a boat. I mean, <laughs> I was on the boat. I never water lost just power. Kept we had plenty of food in the galley. Yes, okay. Television. Uh, they were fine. One thing that you might want to think about because of the movement of the lines is to perhaps put on some sort of a chafing cover on the lines as they run up and down that thing. Uh, make sure your batteries are all charged. Uh, make sure that your build bilge pumps are operating and on automatic, so that you're not going to be a problem by taking on water. Um, and then basically, uh, just you're set. There's not a lot if you're in a marina. There's not much more you can do. You just got to uh, prepare for the uh, prepare for what might the eventuality be. Sure. And the other good point too is in these, you know boats that aren't trailable you can also go to boat yards and pick your boat up and put it on the hill you know mm -hmm. on land there in the boat yard that's mm -hmm. a safer place than in the water another good point that i've noticed over the years is don't tie to the floating dock because chances are that floating dock won't be there if you have to leave your boat in the water so tie off to a piling um, one of the things we would always do is uh, what's called making a bite around the piling it's where you go around the piling with your line and then back to your boat mm -hmm. it allows you to tie it off a little tighter and the line will go up the piling as the tide rises or right. storm surge rises and go back down. Exactly. So that's how we always did it. All mm -hmm. my years up the Cape Fear River on big boats tied off to cypress trees in the swamp, we'd make a bite around those trees because mm -hmm. we would still get five, six feet up that way. Right. I mean, uh, Matthew, I was in Smith's Creek there in Matthew, and it came up 16 feet in Smith's Creek in an hour and a half. That's the highest it's ever been recorded there in Smith Creek. It came up over the actual structure where the boat lift is, and we were tied off there. But we had we had long scope in our lines that were running to land, and we had bites on all the pylons, and we were able to ride it out fine. Mm -hmm. Now, in full disclosure, I was on a 120-foot boat, so we were fine. But it still was rocking and rolling. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. And we had a nice little tornado go by because we heard something that sounded like a freight train. And we went out and looked and you could see it there on that first side. But Matthew was interesting because Matthew hit and then we were like, oh, that wasn't that bad. And then the eye hit. And then later on that evening, the wind switched to the northwest and it blew like nobody's business for six or seven hours. And most people thought the storm was over because the morning was just a little rain not that much wind, but that backside of that wind out of the northwest right. was humping. Right. And the other thing, of course, if we talk with Florence and Matthew and all these other storms is that 
if you are evacuating, let's say, ahead of the storm, or if you get a late start, you, you really have to be watching out for coastal flooding and flooded roads and things of this nature, and it can, it can happen in a heartbeat. Some of these roads here will go up to 8 to 10 inches of water across them, and if you drive across the 8 to 10 inches of water, you could float your car. Sure. And you'd be really put yourself in a lot of danger. So you, coastal flooding, inland flooding, you may be away from the actual storm, but um, an awful lot of people lose their lives in this inland area because of flooding. Yeah, you have to be very careful when the roads are completely submerged, you know, to just, when in doubt, turn around. I think they have some type of little mm-hmm. catchphrase that they use like that. But, mm-hmm. And that's where preparing ahead, that's where having all the gear that you need and knowing and identifying that safe place to go, that strategic safe place. We're getting a ping right now. Um, So moving on along here, we've talked about preparing. What's the, what's the one thing if, if, if our listeners today just fogged out and didn't have enough coffee, what's the one thing you would want them to take away from preparing or hurricane season or anything to hurricanes in general? What's that one thing? Be aware that you live in an area that's prone to hurricane impact. And so if you start to hear, pay attention. Pay attention to what the FEMA people are telling you. Tell, pay, pay attention to the National Hurricane and the National Weather Service. They are the experts. They will give you the right information. And if it, the storm is looking like it's got the potential for coming into this region and causing some problems, pay attention, be mindful of it, and prepare early. Good, good. And where is uh, some of our listeners in this region and beyond, where could they go to get some information online? Is there a good website to go and There's research? some great websites. Probably the best one, um, I myself, I go directly to um, National Hurricane Center. It's, okay. uh, basically, it's uh, www.nhc.noaa.com. Okay. That's basically talking to the horse's mouth. They are the ones with the most up-to-date information. They are the experts in hurricane forecasting. That's where you're going to get the best information. But I will tell you that um, the weather National Weather Service here in Wilmington does a phenomenal job for forecasting. And what they do is they will tailor the national forecast out of the National Hurricane Center to the local region. Got gotcha. so you. will probably get a better local forecast out of the Wilmington National Weather Service. Well, they got a lot of experience here in Wilmington. Yes, they I do. I mean, even the meteorologist on TV uh, here in Wilmington have a lot of experience now, just after a few years. Exactly. So it's a, it's a great source to get that information. Um, there's also, I noticed that the National Hurricane Center website, there is a lot of the stuff we talked about, your hurricane preparedness plan, <laughs> different things like that to do. Uh, another big thing, just like filing your float plan on the water, tell somebody where you're going when you leave town. Family, friends, I mean, us in the auxiliary and the Coast Guard, we all have that checks and balances system to know where everybody's going to be. But if if you're not part of this organization and you're just Joe Public out there, make sure you tell somebody where you're going. I'm going to Aunt Susie's. Here's the address. Here's the phone number. Because we want to be able to communicate and keep account of where everybody's going. Following up on that, Joe, um, one of the things I stress to the flotilla and I stress to my neighbors at uh, at home is that if, in fact, it looks like evacuation is possible, and if, in fact, it looks like the storm is going to come in and cause harmful impacts to the region, 
Be mindful of the fact of your neighbors that might have disabilities or neighbors that might be elderly or just not capable of protecting themselves. So as a good neighbor, always be mindful that some of the people around you may not have the same capabilities and see if you can't help them while you're helping yourself. Very good point. Very good point. Well, Kim, we really appreciate you coming in and doing this hurricane preparedness episode with us here today. Um, those of you that are not familiar with Kim's background, you're just going to have to go listen to the old podcast exactly. where he told us his background. It's episode three. Yes, episode three, Kim Curry, uh, Flotilla 10-5 down in Southport. He's also the vice division commander here in Division 10. He's doing an excellent job. Um, thanks for coming in. We really want to get this information out there. Here's to a reduced activity 2021 hurricane season. Yeah. Cheers on the coffee. And... <laughs> Thanks for coming in. We appreciate it, Kim. Like being here. Thank you. So, yeah, thanks again, Kim. And uh, you guys be sure to go and check out all previous episodes at www.coffeewithcoasties.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to our Facebook page. And we will now uh, be publishing these episodes on iTunes and Spotify. So be sure to subscribe there as well. Have a question or topic request? Reach out to us at www.coffeewithcoasties.com and don't forget to subscribe while you're there.